0: This is the 16th chapter of Revelation, beginning in verse 14. And the three were demon spirits who performed signs and went out to gather all the kings of the earth for a battle on the great day of God Almighty. Listen, I am coming. Blessed is the one who stays awake and is fully clothed and does not go about naked so as to expose his shamefulness. And the kings of the earth were gathered together at a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured his cup into the air. And I heard from the temple a voice, from a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and rumbling and a severe earthquake. So severe was the earthquake that it had not been seen. No earthquake like that had been seen or occurred in all of human history. So tremendous was the quake. And the great city was split into three parts, and all the cities of the world collapsed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. What comes to your mind when you hear the word Armageddon? I've been listening to, for that word the last couple of weeks, and I've heard it actually in a number of times used in different ways. I heard, it, I heard it used in reference to the football game between LSU and Alabama. I heard it used in reference to a financial uh, crisis in Greece and Italy. And most recently heard it used this week in reference to the earthquake in uh, Turkey. Which is interesting because we believe that the recipients and the first hearers of Revelation were uh, Christians who probably many have been Jews who lived in what we now call Turkey, what was then called Asia Minor, at, toward the end of the first century and as we mentioned were under tremendous persecution from Rome. Now when we say the word Armageddon, I think it gets interpreted as a great battle or it gets interpreted as a large disaster or some climactic event. But what would the people in the first century have heard when they heard the word Armageddon? I wanted to walk through that with you for a few moments this morning. The first thing to tell you is that's not a word they would have heard before. Armageddon, most scholars believe, is a combination of two words that previously were not really found together. Uh, the word for mountain and then the word uh, Megiddo. Now, Megiddo was a place that was familiar to those who were aware of Israel and, uh, and, and biblical history and even the geography of the world. For Megiddo was a fortified city that guarded a highland pass through the Jezreel Valley, which was uh, basically on one of the main thoroughfares of the ancient world. And it was such a strategic location that one of the things Solomon did, besides build a palace for himself and a temple for God, is he made sure he fortified cities along that thoroughfare, three in particular, Megiddo, uh, Hazor, and Gezer. So it was a very strategic location. It was so strategic Uh, that uh, many battles were fought over Megiddo because people wanted to control that part of the thoroughfare, that part of the highway in the ancient world. In fact, there have been more battles fought in Megiddo and over Megiddo than any other place in human history on the earth. Even Napoleon himself was involved in a battle in Megiddo, and in World War II, armies marched across there as well. And by the end of the first century, when Revelation is passed on from Jesus to John to uh, the churches in Asia Minor, there have already been so many battles at Megiddo that people are very familiar with it. Uh, One of the things that happens is in the ancient world, when when someone comes and they conquer your city, uh, they're not particularly kind about it. Uh, They take you as slaves or they kill you and then they burn your city to the ground. And then they build a city for themselves on top of the city where you lived. And when they fall to the next conquerors, that city is burned to the ground and a new city is built on top of it. So after a while, you have a number of burn layers or what are called tells that they're They're. pre-existence civilizations right before yours, and there's kind of one layer of destruction on another on another, so many scholars believe that by the end of the first century, there are so many layers of Megiddo that it actually has formed a hill or a mountain of sorts, even though there was no such thing as a, on a mountain of Megiddo. Megiddo would have been well known to uh, people who are familiar with the scripture. They would have known of some famous battles in the Bible in Megiddo. A great victory when the people entered the promised land and they're seeking to hold the promised land off against enemies. Uh, Deborah leads them in battle and they win in Judges 5 a victory at Megiddo. When the kingdom struggles after David and Solomon and it splits into north and south, the king of the south, also known as Judah or Jerusalem, uh, is fleeing from the king of the north and he goes to Megiddo and there he dies. Uh, And uh, sometime later, most distressingly for the people of Israel, when they finally got a good king, uh, long after David, back on the throne in Jerusalem, his name was Josiah. And Josiah said the Bible did many things uh, right. He did the things in God's sight that God wanted him to do. He instituted important reforms in worship and brought people back around to obedience to the first five books of the Bible, what we call the Torah. But For reasons that don't really make a whole lot of sense, um, King Josiah decided to go out and take on the Pharaoh of Egypt who was really passing through Megiddo on his way uh, toward battles uh, further in the east. And in this battle against Pharaoh Necho of Egypt, uh, the great King Josiah died. And the rest, as they say, is history and Israel, or rather Jerusalem, Judah, just tumbles into further depths of sin, idolatry, and eventually destruction. So Megiddo, for the people who knew the story, represented some high points, but also some very low points, but without question, it, it meant both inside and outside the Bible, it meant battle. If you were going to uh, pick a place for a battle anywhere on the earth, the place you'd pick is Megiddo because everybody else has fought there. Now, side note, it is interesting, say some scholars, that if uh, there really is no such place as Armageddon, a mountain of Megiddo, then they say this could be very similar to uh, dragons and beasts and the woman uh, with the stars on her head in and, and Revelation 12. And, and it's meant to be metaphorical, and so some scholars say never was, never will be uh, a final battle fought at uh, this place, Armageddon. Maybe. But let's go ahead and look at what the Bible says about this great battle in Revelation 16. Not much to it, uh, so it would be pretty easy to tell you about First thing is this. Bad guys gather, lots of them, to surround and overwhelm the people of God, the forces of good. We're told kings led by three demonic spirits like frogs. Um, In a previous chapter, there are spirits like frogs. Uh, Frogs are, well, you know what frogs are like. You don't really keep many pet frogs, do you? I mean, they're nasty, they're hideous, they represent evil. They even can be tied in to the exodus, to the plague of frogs. So when you've got demonic spirits like frogs, these guys are bad. And they're going through all the world and they're gathering forces up to defeat God, uh, God's people. So they do that. That's the first thing. Second thing you need to know is that means God has them right where God wants them. Because all throughout his biblical history, when God's people are overwhelmed and surrounded while trying to carry out God's will, God comes to their aid. And so it is, as we mentioned to the children, when uh, the Pharaoh has, has the people of Israel trapped at the Red, with the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's chariots on the other, that God's got the Pharaoh right where God wants him. And soon, Pharaoh's best, his tanks, if you will, swallowed up in the Red Sea. When the giant Goliath and the Philistines are in the Valley of Elah, threatening David the shepherd boy, King Saul and God's people again in the Valley of Elah, God has the enemies right where God wants them. And David leads them in a mighty victory. And thousands, tens of thousands of Philistines are destroyed in the battle. And then, as you move along, there's a terrible king of the Assyrians, who really are terrible, nasty people in the Old Testament. And the Assyrians basically uh, cut a path of destruction from the moment they enter what we might call the Holy Land all the way till they get to the doorstep in the 8th century of Jerusalem itself. And they burn, pillage, and destroy everything in their wake. And they, they get to the gates of Jerusalem, and you can find this story in 2 Kings or in Isaiah 37. And they say to the good king Hezekiah, look, we have destroyed everything between here and Assyria. Your God hadn't stopped us yet. Your God can't stop us. In fact, we don't even think your God wants to stop us. Well, they're surrounding the gates of Assyria with thousands of soldiers, enemy soldiers, hundreds of thousands. God has the Assyrians right where God wants them. Hezekiah goes in, shows the letter from King Sennacherib of Assyria uh, in the temple to God. And I mean, Hezekiah shows the letter to God. And the next morning, when King Sennacherib of Assyria wakes up, he finds that 185,000 of his troops have died in the night. Once again, at the gates of Jerusalem, God has the enemy right where God wants them. And then let's go forward many centuries. There on... Calvary, Golgotha, on the hill, on the cross, there is a man, and it looks like Satan and death and sin have the winning hand, the upper hand, and goodness is surrounded, and God will be defeated. But once again, God is the enemy right where God wants them, three days later, death and sin. And Satan overthrown. Revelation 16 is a simple story. The enemy surrounds and seeks to overwhelm God's people. God has them right where God wants them. And then we're told the seventh angel has a bowl of wrath that goes up in the air, and a voice is heard from the throne in the temple that says, It is done. And there's lightning. And there's thunder. And there's a giant earthquake. Earthquake like hadn't been seen in human history. Do you remember back a couple months ago when we were in Sardis? And we noted that one of the things that happened to Sardis is a great earthquake had hit it. It had split into three parts. And the geographer and historian Strabo had said, there's never been seen in human history an earthquake like this. Well, there's another one. And we're told the cities of all these kings and the great city Of the people persecuting God, they are all destroyed and they collapse. But notice what doesn't happen. Nobody fires a weapon. Nobody raises a weapon. No battle is fought. God handles the whole thing. There may be a battle at Armageddon, but if it takes two to fight, it's hard to find one. Because God, and even we're told toward the end of this chapter, 100-pound hailstones rail from heaven and fall on the enemy. It has been popular for the last three or four decades to talk about Armageddon in some sort of sense that forces of good and forces of evil would face off at each other almost like the Cuban Missile Crisis gone wrong. Warheads detonated. Earth destroyed. I guess that could happen, but it's not happening here in Revelation 16. God is handling the enemy and the victory as always goes to God. Without a shot, a bow, a spear, a stone, fired by the enemy. Well, you may wonder, if that's how it ends, if that's what happens in Revelation, then what am I supposed to be doing? What's my part? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because this is an exact quote from Jesus. Keep your clothes on. Keep your clothes on. He said, Blessed is the one who is awake and fully clothed. Now, now what could that mean? There are a couple possibilities. ain't think they're both good. One is this. Uh, Israel, as you may know, was Jer- in Jerusalem destroyed and overthrown by the Romans about 15 to 20 years before Revelation is written. And As often happens in that day, the prisoners are taken back to the home city of the conquerors, Rome itself. And they are stripped naked uh, to shame them, to humiliate them, to insult the people and their God. And they're paraded down Main Street where people jeer, taunt, throw things, call out accolades to the general who leads this parade. So by keeping your clothes on, Jesus may be saying, look, when you're you're surrounded, when things look bad, don't give in. Don't say, well, they're going to conquer me anyway, so I might as well get ready for their parade. Might as well take my own clothes off rather than have them rip them off. Don't go there. Don't do that, because when you are surrounded, God has them right where God wants them. And there's another possibility, too. In the Mishnah." Writings with which many Jews would have been uh, familiar uh, as it's being compiled during this time. Those stories are being circulated. There's a story about a guard who falls asleep on duty. And his punishment is he has to be stripped and finish his guard duty naked. And so the two possibilities from Jesus, it seems, are one, like when you are surrounded, when you're about to be overwhelmed, don't quit. And when you're surrounded... And when things are looking difficult, stay alert, stay ready, stay on guard, because I'm getting ready to act. Somebody teased me after the last service. They said, I didn't understand your sermon. It's pretty simple. God wins. And whenever you're surrounded or overwhelmed by evil or by things that follow from evil, sickness, Brokenness, sin, devastation. Whenever you face that, keep your clothes on. Hang in. It's not in the Bible, but it could be. Remember the words of Winston Churchill. Never, never, never give up. Because when you find yourself in life overwhelmed and surrounded, Then God has your enemies, God has your problems, God has sin and destruction right where God wants them.